All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Best Foot Forward Season 3, Episode 3. Is that what we agreed on? I yes. think. I think that's right. Yes. So we came up with a scheme by which we would organize all of our episodes. Totally forgot what it was. Um, but we have settled that there was only one episode in Season 3 prior to our last recording session. So we just said, you know what? Season 3 until we... Until, like, May. So the reason being is we started Season 1 in the summer. So every new season is going to start in the summer. It'll be like oh. Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so season three will go until like May. Yeah. That's fine. And then we start then, a new one during yeah. the summer. Okay. That's That's totally fine. I, I like that. Um, first off, though, I would like to say uh, welcome to uh, this year's, this season's holiday special episode. It's a few days past Christmas. But you know. New Year's is right around the corner. That's a holiday. It so is a holiday. It's New Year's Eve Eve. It yeah. is. Yeah. Today. And then, you know, obviously we have, you know, President's Day is coming up, Groundhog Day. Martin Luther King Day. Day. Inauguration Day. Plenty of holidays on the way. Right. So, yeah, here we are a couple days after Christmas. Um, It just snowed a ton. Um, It iced also a lot after the snow, which was lovely. Yeah, that's the one thing about uh, not, you know, being away from Chicago for seven months where it's like, you kind of you don't appreciate things until they're gone, and the weather is like one of the weirdest things. Like as much as we complain about it all the time, it's like just the change weather is nicer. Yeah, it's like oh, it's kind of cold one day, but then the next day it, ra- it snows like four inches, rains overnight, everything turns to ice. And I, so you mentioned being away from the weather. Yes, but now of course we have um, reunited in, in Studio Alpha here mm-hmm. um, because Mike was able to join us for the holiday for the for a brief holiday season. I said, very nice surprise. Kept most people in the dark about when he was coming home. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so not here for long, but uh, glad to be here. Glad to, uh, you know, we did the last episode, I think the quality worked out better than we expected, so we're going to try and push that, um, you know, being able to do uh, off-site recordings with everybody. Hopefully we can give you guys more episodes this season. I look forward to that because as much as, and we always talk about how much we love recording, um, we're all going to be in the middle of very stressful things happening in the next semester, and you're going to be back um, in North Carolina. So it'll be like it's like a good break of the day. We record for an hour or a half hour, and uh, I think it's good for all of us, and obviously good for our listeners. So you're welcome. Well, speaking of listeners, we have one new very active listener that we uh, just want to give a quick shout out to, Allison. Yeah. So shout out, shout out to Carlos from DuPage Pain Management. Um, a great place, by the way. I've been there. They fixed my back. He's our unofficial new marketing director because he's been... <laughs> Does he know this? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. He was informed today. So he has been the best at promoting our podcast without even us hiring him or asking him to. So Well, we're not profit. We can't really hire people. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But it wasn't even like, oh, hey, can you like maybe do this? He was just, you know, he's just doing it because he thinks that it's worthwhile and he wants people to listen to the podcast. So we appreciate you, Carlos. Thank you, Carlos. And for those of you who, who want to promote the show by word of mouth, we, of course, welcome that um, encouragement to others to listen to our show. Because yeah, we're always looking for new listeners. And uh, and look out in the in the near future. There's going to be new ways to promote the show, to just celebrate the show. Um, we do, you know, you'll have to check our Twitter for it, but we got some merch rolling out. We got, uh, we're going to look for trying to get some more information out there, different ways of promotion. And uh, so stay, stay, tuned to, uh, stay tuned to our Twitter. We got uh, our social media team leader, Allison. Uh, you want to give them our, our, your, their, what is it called? Handle? Our, our Twitter handle? Twitter yeah. handle. 
Yeah, so our Twitter handle is at best underscore foot underscore the number four, W-A-R-D. So I, I, I have been in preliminary talks with Twitter, um, right. the company, to expand the amount of characters that are allowed okay. in, <laughs> in the name, in the Twitter handle, because we do need, like, I think one more or two more in order to fit our, our full um, title. We can get rid of those underscores. We can get rid of um, the number four um, and actually have good branding for our Twitter, which would be really exciting. Um, But for now, this is as best as it's going to get. And the next step, obviously, is to get verified. Yeah. Yeah. Well on our way. Yeah. We are well on our way. Yeah, Daniel's in talks with them. Yeah, of course. And with Allison's leadership on the social media team, I mean, there's no reason they would say no. (laughs) She's just too good at our (laughs) job. All right. So... We're going to talk about restaurants today because it obviously is a big um, time for restaurants right now. It is December, um, nine months into the, the coronavirus pandemic, um, and I've talked to a bunch of different people. In fact, yesterday at work, we were just kind of talking amongst ourselves about how restaurants were really the thing that changed the most from the pandemic, I think. You guys can do, agree or disagree if you want to. Um, and of course, we patronize restaurants all the time because I love to eat. Um, and the the thing that led me to this is something that really bothers me about restaurants when I go to sit down. I went out for margaritas with some coworkers the other day. And what always bothers me a little bit is that extra step between when the waiter or the waitress drops off your bill and then they leave and they come back 10 minutes later to pick up the, the cards. <laughs> Why can't I just give them the card and then they take it right away? It's all I need to do. I can just, we're done. I agree, and I have things to, I don't know, and I think uh, one thing we're missing here is, surprisingly, throughout high school and everything, none of us have any sort of restaurant work experience. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Which is odd. Um, So I don't know. Um, If I had to guess, I would say they take it or they drop the check off, and then I know they work multiple tables at a time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm assuming that, you know, they, they drop the check off and then they're, they're going and they're getting an order from someone to bring it to the kitchen. I think, and I think too, their prior, their, their priority is to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we apologize. Hey, so our studio manager is uh, busy right now. Taking, he's, that, he gets a lot of calls. I'm, I'm actually looking at the caller ID, and this is the CEO of Twitter. So we're oh, we, so I oh. should step away. I mean, no, no, no. This is this is far more important. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We have, oh, to, we have to work our, on this. The studio manager called you and let you know. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, um, he, it sounds like he took care of it. Um, but I think in a restaurant, I feel like the pr- main priority to them is the food, right? And I feel like to get people's f- food, like orders to the kitchen, food from the kitchen to the people, checking in to make sure the food is good, I think that's what they care about the most. They've already dropped off the check. Like, they don't They don't need to worry anymore about your experience. Right, you know, like, it's, I feel like that gets a drop to the bottom of their priority list. <coughs> I did so not think about that. I, th- I think that's a very good point. Um, From someone who has zero experience or knowledge in the restaurant working business, that would be my that would be my guess. Isn't it weird that none of us has worked in a restaurant? Like, even in, like, a Wendy's or something. That's, yeah. like, the most common high school job. I easily. mean, I have worked... On and off, wasn't on the payroll, but I've worked odd jobs in uh, for the Whistle Sports Bar and Grill in uh, in off of Ninety Fifth Street for um, one of our friends, Jack's uncle. Um, so like, kind of, but I was just like, I washed some dishes, I moved some stuff, 
So I kind of saw how the kitchen worked, which is cool. I'd never seen that. But yeah, mm. like as far as the workings, like uh, we've never done it. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, I didn't really have a good reason as to why they would like kind of leave it there, but kind of scratching my brain here. I think that it also might just be because they want you to stay longer, and then, you know, if you get into a conversation, you might want to purchase something to drink more. Like, to extend your stay, too, is another goal that they might want to have, and then when you're there longer, you might want to buy something else, and so that might be another reason. But the bill's already at your table. You could you could go back and I could. buy more if you if you cared so much. And I feel like that would work better at, you know, a place like a bar or yeah. something where people want another drink, um, you know. But, you know, I don't know if that's really happening at, like, a Chili's. <laughs> like, there's, there's got to be a good reason for this. I am not the only person who has ever complained about this. Certainly this is something that other people think have thought about before. Yeah. I just want to know why it takes so long. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit with at the bottom of the priority list. That's where I'm going. It's not food-related. They just don't care anymore. They're like, <laughs> all right, you know what? Right, if they've already got you, you're already paying. Because you can, like, my only other thought is so you have time to deliberate about the bill, like, if you're splitting it amongst, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But still, you put all your cards in there, and then it comes back, and then you kind of write things down, and you sign the, the receipt, and you're done. The only yeah. thing, I mean, not that this is really a valid reason, but maybe they don't want to stand there and wait for you to literally hand them a card because they don't want it to seem like they're rushing you. Or, like, you know, sometimes people, like, when you're in the line at the store and you're, like, fumbling with your wallet because you can't figure out where to put the chains and you're trying to get a card out, and it's just kind of stressful it's very sometimes. Stressful. Yeah. So maybe they're trying to prevent that experience in, like, a nice restaurant, you know? They're like, we'll just leave you to find your card and put it away. We won't look at anything. Like, you don't have to feel rushed. You can just put it in when you're ready. That type of situation. It still shouldn't take 10 minutes for them to come back because, no. you know, getting your card out should still only take a couple minutes. But maybe it's just, like, a courtesy thing. That is know. a good point. And I think... You know, of course, regardless of what they do, people are going to complain, especially me. So if they if they were to be right there, I think I might also be a little uncomfortable. So that's... Oh, uh, 100%. I'm buying into that, Allison. That was a good answer. That really makes a good lot of answer, sense. Good answer, good answer. Good answer. By the way, I think we'd make a good family feud um, squad. We would need wow. one more person. Is it five we, or six? It's five. Five. Be a lot of... Uh, well, Ross... Yeah, yeah Ross probably Ross. Fit. Probably Ross. Well, Ross is unavailable right now. Unavailable. Ah, I get it. <laughs> that was right. Well. Ross, if you're listening, just come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, <laughs> so um, what, you can explain that, Mike. What you, well, what's Ross up to? Uh, right our, well, I don't want to give too much of our guest host, our favorite uh, fan favorite guest host, personal information away, but he's, uh, he's just living the dream out in Colorado right now, working and uh, chilling out there, doing his thing. Obviously, still supporting the podcast and anything that we need help, you know, advisor or anything. He's still doing that. We appreciate that. Um, if we need to call on him, I'm sure he'd be more than happy now that we have our new way of recording off-site. Um, so that'd be cool. Uh, the one thing, I just want to go back to the restaurants. Um, not to just jump on restaurants, because I love restaurants. Um, and kind of to deal with what we're doing here, because Brian changed up the lighting in here. It's more ambient lighting. Kind of, mm-hmm. It helps uh, actually helps subconsciously open up the brain and you get more thoughts in. Get the creative juices flowing. Right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, one of my things, actually, as much as I like it for this scenario... I hate, and I find it's in most restaurants, not fast food places, most restaurants, the lights are too dim. Mm. That's my least favorite thing about Portillo's. It is dark in there. Yeah, it's pretty dim. Like, and I don't understand why, and you're wrong, when, like, I'm at home, like, whatever, I hate lights, which is a whole other thing I can get into on lights, 
But I feel like in restaurants, like, like I said, sit-down restaurants, it is always too dim, and I don't like it. Like, because you could go in there, and it could be, like, noon or 1 o'clock, and it's, like, dim. You're like, oh, you're kind of settling down, like, it's the end of the day, and you go outside, and it's bright out. You're like, what What just happened? So, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a reason. Like, I don't know what is that. Obviously, we know it makes your creative juices flow. Does it make, like, you more hungry when it's dark, when it's darker? I don't know. There has to be a reason, because even stores are, a lot of stores are really dark. Like, you know, in the mall, like Abercrombie or Hollister, it is oh, notoriously like dark in there. Okay. Like, you need a flashlight yeah. to see things. But restaurants are an interesting case, because I could see maybe like an evening sort of sit-down dinner place being a little darker. Maybe you got a little candle on the table. Right. But it's a Portillo's. They're blasting the music in there. Everyone's running around. It's very loud. It just seems like incongruent with the atmosphere, you know? Well, this is just a theory, but I think for places like Portillo's or even those random little stores in the mall, darkness hides a lot of things. So if something is dirty or if something just doesn't look super clean or maybe like at Portillo's, some of the tables need to be repainted or something. You can't tell if it's dark in there. It looks nicer. That's smart. If they haven't mopped the floors in a day, like, you probably can't tell because you can't even see where you're going. Like, Perception not saying reality. Portillo's no. is dirty. I'm not saying those stores are dirty. I'm just saying if you turn the lights on, it might reveal a lot more. That's definitely that true. That you can't see with I, the dark. I agree with that. I That was what I was going to say, but I think uh, you said it probably better than I would have. But I also think that it's kind of going to the point that Michael said with the creative juices. Uh, but I do think that... When the lighting is lower, like you think of like a Target or something, like a, a store mm-hmm. that you just go there, it's very bright, and I feel like most of that is just like they want to display the product, and they want to kind of keep you focused on like buying something, versus when you're going to a restaurant, yes, you go to the food, but you really go for the experience the too. atmosphere. Mm. And so when it's like dimmer, I feel like the quality of like, not, okay, not the quality, but like the conversation could be better because you're not focusing on the lighting or, of something. You're thinking more so on the concept that you're talking about. Martillo's does taste better in the restaurant than it does at your kitchen table. For sure it does because those fries get so soggy in the bag. Well. They're not bad, but... <laughs> but I mean, they, not even that. Just Well, I mean, well, it's that too where like you get like... I just had Portillo's in a bag the other day because that's obviously what you do now. Um, my beef was fine, but like my hot dog was like smushed in kind of a way where like it was a Chicago dog so it has a lot of stuff on it obviously but like like if I don't know like one of the buns was like halfway down the dog and the other one was up I mean it tastes the same but it, pre- presentation is important perception is reality yeah which goes to the lighting it, yeah absolutely it does and the other thing too is Pertil's roof isn't their ceiling isn't finished it's just open and it's got the structural support so when it's dark you don't really look at that I kind of like that design. oh it's, it's it's a cool design and some places are like going for it but yeah. I think like a Chipotle kind of thing. I think Chipotle uh, does a yep. similar thing. Meatheads. With the oh, they, they got the corrugated metal Chipotle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it looks great. I, I, don't, I don't love Chipotle, but I do like the idea of Chipotle, you know? I will say also about Portillo's. So our Portillo's, the one we go to, is like gangster Al Capone themed whatever. Right. So I've been to other Portillo's, and they're not that dark. Like there's one. That's true. I think it's in huh. Elmhurst. It's like diner themed. So it's like a big diner, like old school diner, and that one's not dark at all. There's a lot of windows and it's open. So maybe it's just going with the theme of our Portillo's that they decided to keep it dark. In which case, that makes a lot of sense. Darkness would be, you know... It's like Great Depression era kind of type thing. Yeah, so I think it's just going with the theme. Hmm. 
Okay, lots of interesting theories out there for this, but regardless, I do think it is too dark. Yes. I do. I do. The other thing that I would say about restaurants, and um, I think what COVID has done with the like pickup service of restaurants, where you can order ahead and then just pick up your food, I think that was something that was overdue in the restaurant industry. Just being able to go there and get your food rather than having to wait there or having to sit down. Like, I think the convenience factor is much greater in just being able to order online, buy the food, and then, like, go back to your household. You know, something to kind of tap on that and not go completely off the rails is, like, we've kind of, before COVID, and I think the reason that maybe we're, like, kind of okay with it is, like, we've been going more and more towards, like, less social interaction as a society. Yep. Anything we can do is, like, oh, and I'm super guilty of it. I hit, like, I have to order on the phone? <laughs> Like, no, like, let me do it through a computer or like, you know, and like now with COVID, that's really becoming more of a thing for safety reasons. But like as a society, I feel like we've always been moving towards that. We've been wanting that, which is like super interesting to me that like, I don't know, like that we're like kind of separating it. Like not that like introverts are taking over the world, but you know, we're kind of like, that's like becoming more of a norm. Like Definitely. I'm not trying to go off topic a whole lot, but no, that's it. I mean. That's a good point. Well, the thing, and it, it, it's not necessarily off topic either, because Brian, you mentioned a moment ago that restaurants are more about the experience, not necessarily not about the food, but it is there's an experiential factor that's um, that's in there. But when you do curbside pickup, or you do pickup, or or even delivery, you're paying the same, um, and if it's delivery, it's even more. So you have to ask, like, how much am I missing out on from a money from a monetary perspective? Because if I'm going to go pay, you know, $14 for a pulled pork sandwich and my sides at Chuck's, if I go into the Chuck's and sit down, or if I order it out, am I getting the same thing? Well, you're paying for your time is what you're doing. The time to get in your car, to drive there, to pick it up, to, like, you're paying for that time. You don't have to do the extra things. You're just sitting in the comfort of your home doing what you want to do. That's what that extra $4 is paying for. You're paying for time. So you got to value your time. Is my time, how far it takes to get there, is that worth $4 or is it not? Well, I have to drive there regardless. Oh, you're talking about the delivery, delivery. fee. Understood. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. But well, even I, then, you could you could do it for pickup too. All right. Right. So I drive there and then either I'm spending the time there and then, at least for me, I tend to spend more time in a restaurant when I'm eating than if I were to take it home. Plus, if I go to a restaurant, I can't do what I like to do. I can't eat my food and watch YouTube. Like, that's just yeah. weird. You don't do yeah. that. You know what I mean? You shouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> In a um, restaurant. That's, and then, that's my... And then also, you, you gotta, you're probably going to tip if you're going to, into a restaurant. Yep. You know what I mean? You should, again. You should, nothing <laughs> you should do. Well, I'm saying if it's a fast food place, but... So I think, yeah, it's it's comfort. You're paying for comfort. Like, what do you what do you like to do when you eat? Like, I... for Eating is something like, yeah, I'll grab food with friends, but I don't know, eating is kind of a me thing. So like I said, I like to eat. You know, usually a lot of YouTube videos I watch, like 10 to 15 minutes, perfect amount of time for me to eat. Mm-hmm. You know? Hmm. So it's just another way to to monetize your own time. You're either in the restaurant, eating in the you know like a social setting, or you're at home doing your own thing. Right. Maybe with other people, or maybe not. And that goes with the whole thing. Like we, you know, I like personally, I would rather eat and watch my YouTube video than eat and talk to someone about whatever I'm talking about at the restaurant. Like, oh, the lighting here in Portillo's is kind of <laughs> dark. <laughs> no, I I think that's a very valid point because you even look at like grocery stores where. Like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, 
a lot of it, there was very few, like, self-checkout lines, and now self-checkout lines are almost half the, like, checkouts. Like, it's a huge portion of it, and it's definitely decreasing that, like, social interaction. So, I'm, I'm going to go to a self-checkout 10 or 10 times. Oh, yes. A, yes. It's just, it, if you I don't feel have, quicker. You feel quicker. I'm doing it myself, you know, a little whatever, and I don't have to interact with some, like, one that I don't really know. Like, I don't know. And I, I guess, yeah, so self-check, I think a lot of people brand them as like, oh, it's faster, you can do your own thing. But like, I don't think anyone should think that they, as a consumer, as a shopper at Target or Walmart or Jewel, should think that they're faster than someone whose job it is. To, oh, not at all. No, I, I get, I'm not accusing you of right. that. I'm just no, saying yes. like, in general, it's probably faster to go to a check lane, assuming yes. there's no line or whatnot. But there's really something appealing about being like, I'm going to do this myself if I want to take a moment and like scan things to see if there's offers on them or if I just want to go, I can go. It's on your own time. I have a point about this, actually. Um, I, f- I think that it feels quicker when you do it yourself rather than waiting on the cashier. And there's actually like scientific evidence to back this up in like airports. After you get off your plane, the um, if there's a larger distance to your... Uh, like terminal, the yeah, the baggage claim. Yeah. Sorry, um, it feels like it's less time that you're waiting versus if you, yep. if it's a very short walk to the baggage claim and you like stand there and wait for your luggage, you will feel, even if it's the same time for the total like experience, it will feel like much longer if you have to wait and do nothing. And so the it might be slower doing the self checkout, but it will feel faster. And also that you can fit in a lot more self checkouts than you can the uh, the uh-huh. regular. Um, like put on the conveyor belt or whatever that is and then right. they scan it. So I anecdotally approve of the airport um, analogy there. I know when I fly into Midway from, D- when I flew into Midway from D.C., um, I would always go into, do you guys fly, you none, you guys definitely don't fly to O'Hare. Brian, what? you fly, or I, to, I, to Midway, I mean. No. no. Yeah. I go to O'Hare too. Okay. Yeah. So, but there's a, there's a, uh, a gate A4A at Midway. It's like a newer one. They 4A? Added, yeah. It's, so Why? it's, what what, what makes why is, is there a four B? There's an A four A and an A four B. They have those at O'Hare too. Yeah, well I know, but A four whatever. So it's Terminal A, Gate Four. Well, no, it's just four A and four. They they okay, just it's, it's an addition. It's got to be at least two miles to get over there. It is a long walk, but every single time, to your point, Brian, my bag's already going around on the carousel when I get over there. So I'm I'm getting in there and I'm done. I get my bag and I'm done. Yeah. Of course, I gotta wait for. Someone to make their rounds um, in the in the uh, arrivals area, but no, yeah, I think this is very applicable. If you're doing something, it doesn't feel like you're like waiting around. No, mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. psychology. And to go back, well, the only thing obviously to go back because I'm I'm the thing I'm conflicted about on the the kiosk because the self checkouts like as much as I love it, less interaction. We gotta gotta like it comes to a point. It's like all right, how far do we let this go? Like you know, obviously like now they're doing this like. That's that's, ten jobs that aren't there anymore, right? That people aren't doing themselves. The airlines, you know what I mean? It's just, Brian, you want to say something? Yeah, it hey. sounds. I mean that that's kind of going into the whole topic of automation, and automation is just going to be absolutely like crushing. Like uh, like the amount of jobs that are subject to automation, um, is just astronomical. And you might think that like, oh, we've been through automation before, like the industrial revolution and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this is like. From what I've read, it's it seems that it will be very different because, like AI can like, the the power of AI is to identify repeatable tasks 
and then find the pattern to like solve the problem correctly. And so you look at like self-driving, it might be complex for a computer, but it's a very few like tasks that you have to do. You have to stay within the lines, you have to meet the speed limit and then occasionally merge, occasionally turn left right. or right. And you, you check to see if there's a car, if there's something coming in, there's something mm -hmm. going out. And, and it, it learns, that's the thing. It does. And it's just, there's going to be so many jobs that are going to be crushed. And like even self-checkout, going even further, I know Amazon now has those shops and you put yep. the item in the cart and it immediately scans it for you. And that's even making it quicker than that. I know you're not eliminating a job there compared to the self-checkout, but it's still just automation is just going to be absolutely like cruising through like a train and just going to take out a lot of stuff. Yep. And to finish off my, my point here before I throw it over to Daniel, um, a, a lot of people also think like, oh, that's all right, because we've been here before and automation will create new jobs, which is true. But you look at all of the new jobs or like the new types of jobs that we're creating. Um, I think the newest job that's like on the United States job board of like what, who people, sorry, who works in what industry like the, the newest job is like number 33 on the list. Everything else above that had been there in some form or fashion for the past hundred thousand thousands of years. And there's not really new like skills or jobs that are really coming out of automation because the whole point of it is to like eliminate Problems. as much as, as much as they can and make it as efficient and cheap and just like good as it possibly can. I'm glad that we're talking about this because I feel like this is something you've wanted to talk about for many episodes and we just haven't quite gotten to in an, in an organic way. But this is, uh, I think we're there now. So I read a book called Capitalism Alone by an economist named Branko Milanovic like over the summer. Or it was like beginning of the pandemic. I went to visit my sister um, after my semester ended and it was just like, it was like a little vacation. It was nice. I got to read a book. Like <laughs> that was cool. Um, and he was talking about automation because I'm in the same boat as you. It's scary that like people just won't have jobs that they used to have, these jobs that have been around forever and ever and ever. Um, but what Milanovic was arguing is that capitalism, now that it is the only, pretty much the only system there is in the world now, um, it has always overcome these technological advances and that we shouldn't assume that it will be any different now. And to give a more practical example, um, based on what he said, it, that the unemployment that we're talking about is more of like frictional unemployment, which is to say that people will be unemployed for a short period of time between jobs, not that they're like not going to ever have a job right. again. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if we're worried about the cashiers because of self-checkout or because of um, like pandemics making us not really want to go into stores as much anymore, um, an example for me is that I work in fulfillment um, and I pick orders and I, you know, put them in boxes and send them out. Before the pandemic, my Target store had like five people that worked in fulfillment. Now we have about 60. Like, that's job growth. I don't right. know if we've cut down on cashiers or like other people in the store. I, I That's, you know, beyond the scope of what I do. But, I mean, just to give a kind, I'm not disagreeing with you, Brian. I'm just kind of providing fodder for discussion or trying to at least. That could be one counterexample, is that, yes, there will be some unemployment in certain industries that will be automated, but those people will be doing something else, and that's what's been happening for a while, historically. I don't even yeah. know if that's true, but that's no, that's an that argument that I've heard. Yeah. That makes sense. The, those jobs are going to be there, but 
If they're not there, they're going to put them somewhere else. Now, here's my one thing, and kind of kind of glad you brought up capitalism, not to go too like deep into it, but the whole point or whole like thing of capitalism and automation, like you mentioned earlier, Brian, everything's about efficiency, right? Make everything more efficient, make everything, and like that's the way our, our world is driven today. Everything is about making things more efficient, so that it's faster, easier for people, and it makes more money. It's it's better for everybody. Businesses make more money; they are able to pay people more, like all that. That's great and all, but there's going to have to come a time. I don't know if it's going to be in five years, it's going to be in fifty years. We're going to have to start making decisions where it's like, okay, yes, this is this decision business is going to make us more money. It's going to make it easier on people, but what other effects is it having? You know, if people aren't doing this, you know, then what do you do? Like, yeah, all right, now everybody has the same jobs or per se. Like, you know, if if all the decisions you're making are based on that, it's like, all right. And what, what are you sacrificing to make that? Because every time you do that, you're sacrificing something. Mm-hmm. And so far, like we said, we've been okay, but I feel like we're at a point where it, it's an exponential growth, automation and all that. So yeah, we've we've overcome it in the past, but every time we have to overcome something, it's bigger. It's more than, than it was in the past. Like, you know, the stuff that's been accomplished the last five years that took 25 years previous to do. It's like, I feel like we're, we're kind of coming up on that point now where it's going to be like out of grasp and... I don't know if people are going to be able to realize to make those decisions based on... I think we're going to have to make decisions based on differences besides just like efficiency. Which kind of, as you pointed on, that's like been the basis of most of societies in the world. It's been like, we're going to make as much as we can as efficiently as possible. And it really hasn't had to be that trade-off before. It's before you were shifting into a new industry. Um, and then... Uh, to address Daniel's, Daniel's point about how there is like some job growth, I fully believe there is, and the counterpoint that I would use against, um, not really like counterpoint, just another piece of evidence, is that um, look at the like trucking industry. I believe that's the third most like populous job in the United States. I might be wrong, but it's it's very high up there. And you look at who are working in those jobs. It's like the average person is a forty-year-old male was a high school education and not much else and if those jobs are taken away from them if they've been a trucker for most of their life or even if they've only been a trucker for the past 10 years or whatever it is i find it rather difficult that those people are going to want to move into a new industry i i see them being much more like oh i'm going to keep doing this as like my my career until i retire and i think if that industry starts getting collapsed where it's like we're going to make automatic like trucks that could drive 24 hours a day do not get into crashes and are like more gas efficient because there's not like a break and it's like a go i think that could be a huge area of like consolidation where those people won't won't have any like jobs to go into like like there's not really a lot of positions that i could see their trucking skills be valuable in other industries and so i think that that is just like another point that like should be considered about how automation can come in and it can like really change the industry. And so I think it's like both Daniel's and Michael's points here where we have to like kind of find the trade-off of where or how far do we want to push it of like being as efficient as possible. And I mean, that's that's a very high level complex idea because there's always going to be trade-offs. And so I really don't know where that would put us. Like, I don't know what we should do from there, but... Well, here's here's something to go with your you kind of go off your thing with truckers, and I, I just kind of thought about this as you were saying. Um, this is kind of a question. So yeah, you look at the people that yeah, let's say it knocks out a lot of people that don't have those college degrees, where 
A lot of jobs are now limited to them. Now I wonder, does that push them? Obviously, we have a very big uh, trade, trade skills gap right now. Most people in the trades are, are on their way out. We have a lot of guys in their 40s to 60s. They've been doing it for a long time, but the past like 20 years has been dominated by people getting degrees and whatnot. And this isn't even an argument about should you get a degree or should you go blue, like the the lower blue. Actually, not even lower blue collar. You can make good money. Yep. I mean, there's blue collar just probably more money than, than right if you're doing if you do a good job. You could be in a union and yeah. right. So there's there's a gap right now. Like there's a lot of open jobs. And I wonder does that does that start to push people? Because that's one of the things that. I feel like it's going to be the last and very hard things to automate. Oh, absolutely. Is trade, trade, trade jobs. So I wonder if that starts pushing people, once this starts happening, does that start pushing maybe people away from the colleges and into those trade jobs? That's well, an interesting point. Or will it lead to, like, underemployment, where people who have these college degrees can't find a, a good-paying job or a job in their field, so they say, I'm going to go do this thing. Right. Underemployment in, the, in, in like, you don't need a... Like a PhD to to do carpentry, for instance, exactly. like that's not the that's a skills mismatch. And then, and maybe this is super down super down the, the daisy chain of effects. Does that does that lower college prices? I hope so for the That'd future cool. generation. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, okay, I haven't said much on this topic, but just to have a little, like my little spiel on automation and all that type of stuff. This is gonna sound like a boomer answer. Okay, but I do think that there's some truth to it. The problem a lot of older people have with automation is, you know, boomers are always like, these kids aren't going to learn the value of hard work if robots do everything for them. You know, like, yeah. they're like these kids' technology is taking over. Like, they don't have to do anything themselves. Like, they can ask their phone to do it. They can spell check their essays. They don't have to learn how to spell. They don't have to learn how to talk. They don't have to learn how to do anything. So, yes, that is... An issue, but technology is also helpful in that sense. But I think if you start using automation towards jobs that people are performing right now, and like years down the line, those people retire, those people are done, and then it's all robots or whatever, there's nobody learning that job anymore because robots are the only ones doing it. So if robots, or I just keep saying robots as automation, but like okay. if those, That's, we got it. If those were to fail, or if there was some sort of problem with them, like the industry is over. The industry is done because it's it's reliant on technology completely. That, that's a big thing is you, on the topic of reliance. And you can talk about technology and whatnot and it, to not go in a completely different direction, but slightly. <laughs> like, being re, like being reliant, you're saying on automation, yeah, something goes wrong. So, for example, I'm just going to bring this. We, we don't talk too much about, like, world and whatever, but so Russia a few years ago tested this out and they were able to hack into Ukraine's um, electric like a net network. Basically, they were able to shut down the the this area of Ukraine's like networking and electronics and like electricity for like a few weeks straight. And they could not run because they don't they're not they don't know how to not. That I don't know if that sentence was grammatically <laughs> correct, but yeah, that that is kind of that just that's a real world example of like how reliant we've become. And like you said, what do you do if that doesn't work or? What do you do if Terminator happens, you know? Well, and also, I mean, yes, Terminator is an extreme example. Right, But things like... Big issue, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Big issue for us here. But with automation, too, it's like, I find it hard to believe that a piece of technology can learn and adapt so much that it can account for every single odd situation that could happen. But, But machine learning, that is the whole point of it. And it is scary how good it is. Yeah. 
But what kind of learning is it? Because, I mean, like, human emotion is what makes us human, right? And it's volatile, and it factors into our judgments. If we are creating machines to, to, be, to make things more efficient, they don't want to put emotions in there. Right. Because that alters, like, the objectivity of, of these machines' judgment. Now, I'm not saying that emotion always makes every decision badly, because I don't think that's the case. Sometimes it just works out. And, right. I mean, maybe it always works out. I don't know. Um, but I don't think that is something that folks designing machines to learn, like an, an AI to learn, I don't think that's something they would even want in there. So that's why I'm a little bit less concerned in that regard about machine learning. I don't think they would learn emotion because I don't think we want them to. We don't want them to, but they, they kind of... I don't know, and I don't know that much about this. I'm just thinking, you know, really theoretically. Right. No, I mean, it's just, it's scary. I know Brian and I have talked about this a lot. Just, I love that, by the way, that this, <laughs> that you've had this dialogue. Just, oh, we have. <laughs> and typically just out late and in his garage, but it's just, it's scary that basically what we're doing is we're teaching. So right now we are still in control of the automation. We tell it what to do. We're programming it. But in order, in in the, what's the word I'm looking for? in terms of efficiency like in order to become more efficient we're like all right well let's eliminate ourselves from let's eliminate us as the middleman let's just put in this information so that the, the robot or whatever wants to be the machine is teaching itself so that it no longer needs us because that's more efficient okay but then at that point wait a second you just gave everything to the machine we no longer if if they don't if the automation doesn't need us like where, where are we needed well I mean, not really to answer that question, but to ask another question. <laughs> to right. ask another question, I guess, because I don't know the answer to this. But for just for an example, say there was in the future machine like robot surgeons, like doctors. Like instead of a person performing some surgery, maybe not open heart surgery or something complicated, but something smaller that a robot can do, maybe steadier than a person or something. Right. So say they were to like cut open somebody and then whatever they went in there to do, for some reason, they can't do. Like, you cut open someone and you find something that you weren't expecting. Does a machine know what to do with that? Or does a person have to be, like, reprogramming it and be like, oh, wait, we need to make another decision? Or, you know what I mean? Well, like, things like the human body are so unpredictable. If you go in there expecting one thing and get another thing, or something goes wrong, even, because not that the machine messed up, just their body reacted to something. Maybe they're allergic to medication and they start having a seizure on the well, table. Right. Like, well, here's your thing, though. You're saying that the person would come in and have to tell it what to do, but how did that person learn? How did that? How does that person know what to do? Because the person is a doctor, right? A surgeon. But the person learned these different things. Okay, if this happens, then this one they do. Oh, this is what this looks like, so I should do this. They teach the machine everything that we know. As long as the machine is able to identify what that is. Then it knows how to do it because we teach them everything we know. Okay, so what about decisions that are based on like emotion then? Like, well, what if not it's to, like to keep the patient alive? Not even keeping them alive, but hmm. it's like you have two decisions. Like, I mean, I watch some like medical shows, so I know right. a little bit. Maybe there's like, I don't know, you, 
you cut someone and open it's like this is one way to solve it this is another way to solve it they're both risky which one do we do like what is the machine's decision right. based the machine's going to be all on probability yeah it's like all right this is how well, i hate probability so i don't like that so do i yeah. i got a i got a, uh, a c in that class in high school i love probability a, well good for you brian because that, that's what the machine's based on yeah. it knows like all right out of it's been 300 million surges we've done this the other 200 we've done this and this one was this more successful by this percent based on this person's body composition and all this. It has all the stats instantly. See, but I don't like that. Because yeah, I don't I'm not th- saying it's I don't think good, the, but I'm trying to explain The highest it. probability is always the best answer. Who do you sue if it goes wrong? Like, right? Doctors have to have medical malpractice insurance right now. All sorts of lawyers involved. Mm-hmm. Who do you sue if something happens? Well, and is the robot suing another robot? <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but the the point is, like, can you automate certain fields? Like, are, are there actually certain fields? Well, like, um, like the law. Like, is it more difficult to automate than other things? Oh, 100%. I agree there's different ones that it's like physically, I don't know if we can automate them. But I think, like, uh, the big central argument that I think that we, we're having here is basically general purpose AI versus, like, narrow AI. So general purpose is it could do almost any task you tell it to. And so those are extremely difficult. Those are like going back to Michael's point with like the plumbers or electricians. There's a lot of moving parts. Like you can't imagine a robot walking into your house, going to your basement or your like your pipes or something and fixing something. That seems way far away and it is. But like narrow purpose AI, like automated automated truck driving or something like that, that's a lot closer because right. you, you have you tell it the task to do and it does it and as Michael was kind of saying with machine learning, eventually we're like hands off. Like you look at like the YouTube algorithm. What it does is it looks at everything that you've ever watched, how long you've watched it, if you like it, and it just, it like knows every video that it could possibly recommend you. And it says, okay, based on everything that they've ever watched, these are the top five videos and we're going to put it on their homepage. Like right now, AI is already here that like can learn just one topic and just completely know everything about that topic and going back to the uh the doctor's part i think like it only remote like robot doctor i think that's pretty far away i think what's going to happen is eventually there's going to be robots and doctors and then the doctors will be there to assist the robots in any unpredictable circumstance and we're already pretty close to like doctors at least general purpose ones not like surgeons being reduced in value because you look at IBM's Watson, that's like their right. AI machine. Um, what it does is it reads every academic article about medicine. It reads like every possible side effect between medicines. It knows all client history and it has all of this information. And what it's able to do is it's able to see everything that it knows and is able to prescribe. Like it, it doesn't actually prescribe it, but it's able to like tell the doctor be like okay based on this client's like history of their health the knowledge that we have of each individual medicine and the side effects that each medicine will have with each other we will recommend these three medicines to die or to give to this person to fix whatever ailment they have and so that is like something that's like already here and that is something that's just very crazy because it just it has so much more knowledge and humans can even grasp like you could spend your whole life learning about the field of medicine and you would be dwarfed in like a f- like in like compared to Watson it's like incredible the amount of data that these things are able to process
Okay, so back to that example, you're talking about how like the Watson has access to like databases of information about people and medical conditions. It has conditions. access to every little thing that's ever the entire internet is is accessible okay. to it. Yeah. Okay. That's what's insane. Sorry. But I actually think that's a disadvantage in terms of like medicine and stuff. So I'm reading this book called Blank by Malcolm Gladwell, which is like Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. Good author. Good Great man. author. Yeah. Malcolm, if you're out there <laughs> and you want to come talk on a show about anything, we would have a blast with you. I oh wonder man. if you would like. I, I'm honestly, I'm thinking about like what kind of people we actually could have on the show. <laughs> Malcolm might be up there for one of our most like probable, most yeah. likely, yeah. right <laughs> under Jesse White, <laughs> right, Illinois Secretary of State, like Bryce. We know we're probably not coming on the show. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, in this book, Malcolm Gladwell, it's all about, so Blink, it's all about making split-second decisions. So, like, people that can decide things, like, within the first second of, say, meeting someone or hearing about something, like, you make a decision right away, like the blink of an eye. That's, like, what the book is about. So he gave one example in it, and it talked about medical like situations when trying to diagnose people when you don't know what's wrong and they give you all their symptoms they give you their medications their health history all of that and he makes the argument based on some study that someone did that the more information you have actually makes it harder to make a diagnosis because you have so many different angles coming at you and so many different things it could be that you sort of assume it to be one thing when really it's like something very simple because he gave the example of, like, chest pain. So people get admitted to, like, the ER for chest pain because heart attack is a possibility, and that's a life-threatening situation, obviously. But then he broke it down into these doctors that were considering all of these different factors for these people, and when they considered all these factors, they diagnosed them wrongly with a heart condition or heart attack, like, 30% of the time. It was wrong just because he, they had too much information. They were like, oh, this guy has a history of... I don't know, some sort of thing that predisposes you to a heart condition. And they were mm. like, well, it must be that. But it's like, if you didn't know their history, everything else points to no. Like, that's not mm. that's not realistic. And they did a study. Like, I'm not just, like, yeah. making no, this No, I know you're not. And they're saying, like, um, if you only base, like, heart attack symptoms on three factors instead of all the other outside factors, you're more likely to diagnose it correctly. Mm. So it's like having that, that whole database is like not always beneficial because it kind of like, I don't know, it muddies the waters. Like oh, it makes you that. consider things that aren't even really a realistic possibility. When if you had less information, you would have a more accurate picture. Mm. That is interesting. That's a fine line in between, but that is interesting to study about the, the three factors. Yeah. yeah. So I, go read that book if you're interested. I am. Yeah. <laughs> and for, you know, on the, on the last note, before we wrap up, we're, we're going a little long on this one, but this has been um, interesting to just think about with you guys together. So um, there is a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which is... So good. Yeah, Brian. So Cena. good. So it, it really speaks to a lot of the kind of algorithmic things that we've talked about. Algorithmic may not be a word. I might have just made that one up, but... Um, it, it it goes to show just how much Facebook and Twitter and what other ones they got YouTube. in there. YouTube. Oh, YouTube's Google. the worst. Yeah. Google is terrible. Um, how much they harness our information and mm. tailor um, recommendations to us to keep us coming back. And it's made us addicted to our phones to the point where it's like causing widespread stress and anxiety and increased rates of suicide. And now thinking about this in... In 2020, during the pandemic, it's even more um, illustrative of uh, the the negative effects of that. So go watch The Social Dilemma. Go read Blink I, by Malcolm Blank. Gladwell. Blink or Blink? Blink. 
Blank. 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 Okay. Did you just say two different words? It sounded the blank. Same. He said blank. Yeah. Oh, you. blank. It is not blank. It's full of words. <laughs> I yes. Um, to add, throw in another little thing that I think you guys should watch that was interesting. I didn't get to put it in here too much. There's a documentary on um, Google. It's, it's on Google search. It's about Google search. And it's it talks about the algorithm, like Brian was saying, and I'm sure it plays into that social dilemma. It's very interesting if you want to learn more kind of how it works. I think it's important. And one little fact I want to throw in there, the Google search algorithm is changed three times a day. Every day, the algorithm changes. Like, they go in and they try to do a thing, and then they change it. Wow. And, like, and that's how we access all the information in the world. And that's the thing, too, if you want to get into the question of about trying to figure out information, we have all the information at our fingertips. We do, but who decides that? Google decides what information we have because there's millions of results, but it's something like less than 3% ever click page two. Hmm. Yeah. So it is up to that algorithm to decide what information we see. Right. And who makes the algorithm? Is it us? Yes. Or is it them? Oh. oh. Yeah, just, just interesting <laughs> to think about, right? Yes. Like, right. Because in theory, it's like, it's responding to what people are searching for and right. what they're clicking on. Right. But why are we clicking on it? Because right. that's what it shows right. us. And, but why and, are they showing right. it to us? And it's for right now, they, you know, they claim. I'm not saying they don't. They, they try to make everything, you know, factual. They're not trying to get fake news. Sometimes it happens, whatever, whatever. But that's also the scary thing is like, what if, like, what, the amount of things that could change if if someone with, like, a bad, you know, motive was like, well, you start feeding people the information you want to feed them to be. You know what I mean? Google oh, does that. They do, but I'm saying, you know, it could be if someone with a more malicious, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I loved this episode, and I, just to bring it back to the social dilemma, I had, like, a mini existential crisis for, like, an hour after that. I was like, oh, my gosh. It's, like... It's it makes you feel so bad, but in a good way. Like you just like all this information that you just learned. You're just like, I need to go change something about my world or like the world around me, and it's it's just amazing. And you said yours was Google Search. Or I don't know the it? name of it, but yeah, it was about Google Search. Okay. I can find that. Maybe we could throw that in the Twitter. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll find the name of it. But it was good. It was only like an hour long. Yeah. All right. Well, we will tweet that out on uh, what's our Twitter handle? I, I forgot. At best underscore foot underscore the number four WARD. All right. So, yeah. No, it was blasting back in Studio One, Studio Alpha. We had a lot of fun. Um, hope you guys did too. Um, hopefully, uh, we won't get automated. <laughs> and um, That would be a real shame. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's AI that runs best foot forward now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank you guys. We'll, like I said, we're going to try to make a big push. Look for Check out our Twitter. We're going to be putting out merch. We're going to be putting out new promotional things. Try and get a lot more episodes in the season. And um, until next time, this has been Best Foot Forward.